We have the privilege to read God's Word. First, first John 14, 15 to 27, and then 2 Corinthians 13, 11 to 14. John 14, where Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, ever the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our word home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. We now go to... 2 Corinthians 13, 11 to 14, which are the final greetings. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Trinity is uh, widely regarded as one of the most difficult doctrines for our finite brains to comprehend. Uh, it's said that Augustine, who was that great 5th century theologian and philosopher, he likened our processing to a, a, a boy on the beach trying to empty the ocean into a hole that he had dug into the sand. Uh, that's how feeble our attempts are to understand. And if you are hoping that this morning I might give you a really easy explanation, perhaps an egg or an apple or a clover or the three states of water, uh, I'm sorry about that, but I'm also not sorry. Uh, by the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about, there's some of the, the pictures that people use, as you can see on the screen, to try and explain the Trinity. Uh, but the problem is that they're all at least half wrong, at least. You know, the parts of an egg or an apple can be separated from each other. 
uh, but not so the persons of the Trinity. Uh, the clover kind of insinuates that they are parts of God, but not persons. Uh, H2O or water can only exist in one form at a time and not simultaneously. And if you've ever heard of the, the Trinity being likened to a man who has three roles, father, husband and son, well, that's what we call uh, modalism. Uh, and it does not display the true distinction of the persons of the Trinity, that they are separate persons. And so this is why I think the, the, the most helpful way to explain the Trinity is, is it's simply three who's and one what. I found that online one time, three who's and one what. So God, uh, who is God? It has three answers. He is the Father, He is the Son, and He is the Holy Spirit. What God is, is one answer. He is the infinite, eternal, sovereign, transcendent, but also imminent, personal, good and gracious creator, redeemer. It sounds like a lot, but he's this one being who encapsulates all of that. Uh, by the way, I think one of the issues that we're facing in our society today is that our own identity is far more defined about the, the who question. Uh, and that includes, you know, who we choose to be and who we identify as and not enough by the what question. What it means for us to be human. What it means for us to be male and female and, and, and made in God's image. Uh, but of course, those are topics for uh, another day, aren't they? The main reason that I think the, the who and what questions are so important when it comes to God is our relationship with Him. It's about our relationship with Him. The what question, it really is kind of scientific, isn't it? You know, what is the essence of God? What is the substance of God? Is He material or immaterial? Is He, you know, is He uh, physical or metaphysical? Is He finite or infinite? But the who question is always relational. Who is God to us? You know, how does He relate to us? How does He meet with us? How does He reveal Himself to us? How can we know Him? And so it's similar to that, that difference between knowing about someone, you know, like you would with you know, world leaders and celebrities, we know about them, but we don't know them, do we? And there's a huge difference there. And this is what I want to focus on this morning to briefly look at the theological side of the Trinity, but even more and much more to look at the relational side because Christianity is far less about the knowledge of God, although that's important, but it is more about knowing God. It's less about religion and more about relationship. And as we've seen, a relationship that brings comfort and hope and peace. Uh, before we dive in, though, I do have to acknowledge that preaching one, one sermon on the Trinity is like a drop of water in an ocean of truth, uh, even in Scripture itself, where God has deliberately revealed Himself in these ways. You know, you could spend a year of Sundays quite happily on the Trinity and perhaps still only skim the surface. So let's start with what we can know about the triune God. And the first thing we, we find is that He is one God. 
He's one God. This is what uh, the, the people in the Old Testament would confess. Uh, we find it in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, what's known as the Shema, where we read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's one. He is one eternal, infinite, transcendent being. But He's also three persons, three personal or personable, uh, relational, imminent persons. He's the eternal loving Father. He's the eternal beloved gracious Son. And He's the eternal Spirit who is the shared life or the fellowship between uh, or of the Father and Son and yet still a distinct person, an equal person as well. Now, it's never, it's true, and perhaps many of you know, the Bible never says that God is triune. It never says or mentions the Trinity. Uh, but we see it come up in so many places, and it's, I, I find so encouraging to remember some of these. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And He did that as the Father who ordained it, as the Son who is the Word through whom all things were made, John tells us and the Spirit who hovered over the waters and then gave life when God breathed life. The breath is is the Spirit. And when it came to human beings, He said, of course, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And then in redemption, again, God the Father ordains it. And He adopts us as His children, as we've read. God the Son sacrifices Himself to forgive us and to justify us. And God the Spirit seals the deposit, regenerating us in an ongoing way until that day of perfection. And if if that stuff sounds familiar, you might remember it from the truths we state in our baptism form. And if we are talking about baptism... We see the Trinity featuring significantly in that as well. You just have to look at the baptism of Jesus. There we see the Father speaking from heaven, a a loving word for His beloved Son and the Spirit descending on Him like a dove, empowering Him for ministry. And then before Jesus physically departs the world, what does He do? He commands His disciples to baptise new disciples in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. So it's not just a baptism of repentance or of water, but of the Spirit as well. If we backtrack backtrack, sorry, a little bit to John 14 and 16, uh, where we read from, Jesus announces the coming of the Holy Spirit and what He's going to do for His disciples, He's going to comfort He's going to counsel. He's going to advocate and help. And He's going to remind them of Jesus' words. He is an indwelling messenger to our hearts. Peter expands on this in his letter when he talks about the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for all of Scripture. That is, He worked in the hearts of the writers just as He works in the hearts of the hearers. And so even with the Word, we see that God is creating Scripture. He is speaking it. Jesus is the very Word that is spoken. 
and the Spirit inspires what is written. It's incredible, isn't it? And then as well as God speaking to us, the Trinity is at work when we speak to God. The Father hears us when we talk to Him. We pray as we did our Father in heaven. The Son mediates as our High Priest and offers our prayers as perfect to the Father. And as we saw earlier, the Spirit helps us to pray, interceding for us in our weakness and translating our groans and our emotions. And then just lastly, I would highlight, of course, the fellowship of the church. Uh, We're currently going through the book of Ephesians where we see uh, so much of what it means to be the body of Christ and you see the Trinity just throughout the book of Ephesians coming up in these ways. The Father brings us into that new family, into the body as brothers and sisters The Son makes us part of His resurrected body, uh, which, as we know, is one body made up of multiple parts, just like the Trinity, one being made up of multiple persons. And then the Spirit is that invisible bond, our shared life, our shared unity and fellowship, including the diversity of His gifts for service to one another. And I could go on and on about the ways we see the Trinity uh, feature through Scripture. But as I said, I don't want to just talk today about good theology. I want to talk more so and encourage you in a personal, experiential relationship with Him. So how can we know the triune God? How can we truly know Him? How can we relate to Him? How does He relate to us? How can we experience Him and enjoy Him? Well, firstly, He's our Father. He's our Dad, our Abba. And He loves us. He loves us deeply. And it's a love that He displays in so many different ways. And There's a little bit of repetition here, but I think it's so important. Again, the Father lovingly created you. As we read in Psalm 139, He knit you together in your mother's womb with care and and great attention, putting your genes and your cells and your features all together, all of the molecules that make you who you are. He shaped them in His image to make you you, his precious child. And when you ran away and you orphaned yourself, which every single one of us do, that is what sin is. Well, what does the Father do? He comes after us and he adopts us. He makes us children once again. And if you're here today and you're not a believer, I just want to say he stands with open arms ready to adopt you as well. The Father loves you just like a dad should. He speaks to you through His Word. He reveals Himself, His heart to you. He's vulnerable. He opens Himself up to you so that you can know Him. He guides you and instructs you and corrects you when you grow off track. Those are the things that 
Paul says to Timothy, that's what Scripture is. That is the Word of God. And yes, that means He disciplines you. That's part of His love. We read it in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12. Discipline is part of parenting. What parent doesn't discipline their child if they love them? God loves you so much, He will not leave you to your stupidity and rebellion. He wants the best for you. He will lovingly rebuke you. But He also listens to you. Attentively. Patiently. In a way that not one of our parents could ever really do because He does it perfectly. There is nothing that you cannot speak to him about. No matter how angry or upset or excited or depressed you might be, he wants to hear. He wants you to bring that to him. And we see that through the Psalms, don't we? Every emotion highlighted. And he protects and he provides for you. He knows your needs before you even ask, Jesus says. You're never out of His sight. Psalm 121, you're never out of His safekeeping. And He determines your future for your good, as we read in Romans 8. For the good of those who love Him. And on top of all that, if all that were not enough, He spoils us, doesn't He? I know that that can be hard to see, especially in times of pain, but He spoils us. He makes His creation beautiful to look at. He makes food taste delicious. He makes water fall from the sky and, and, and food to grow on trees. He makes children cute and oceans clear. He makes relationships fulfilling and gives you laughter. He gives so many good gifts, art, music, technology, sport, games and so much more. He loves to please you. So, do you know the Father? Do you know His love in all these different ways? Do you spend time with Him as a response to all of that love and bask in all of that love? Do you talk to Him? Do you enjoy Him? Do you share Him with each other? And the same could be said for His comfort. And then what about the Son? Do you know Him? Do you know His grace? Jesus Christ, the Son who walked the earth. Do you know this eternal sovereign God who willingly took on the form and consciousness of an embryo, of a fetus, of an infant, and who accepted faithful and yet faulty human parents and pain-in-the-bum siblings? and selfish friends who dealt with, with just absolute rubbish from arrogant religious leaders and mocking pagan Romans and bumbling bogan disciples and who received just all the bad stuff, injustice, scorn, hatred, betrayal, abandonment and ultimately death from the very people that he came to save. Do you know the God who died for you, for you, who stepped in front of the bullet with your name on it, took your place under the guillotine, 
who snatched you from the grip of death and then fought death on your behalf and conquered it. Who frees you from a hopeless, pointless existence where you live for yourself or for your stuff or perhaps for others or whatever else and gives you hope and meaning and who even though you are the worst sibling, in case you think you're a pretty good sibling when it comes to Jesus, you are the worst sibling, selfish, greedy. And yet he says, I'll, I'll tell Dad you did everything right. I'll give you all the credit for what I've done. And you can share my inheritance with me. Who resurrects you and offers you eternal life. Do you know the Son? Do you chat with Him and thank Him? Do you love Him? Do you want to just hug Him or fall to your knees in tears before Him? And I'm not asking this as a guilt trip if you are that stoic kind of person. But I want to encourage you, it is not just about knowing of Jesus. I read my Bible, I know of Jesus. No, it is about knowing Him and what He does for you. And then what about the Spirit who came into the world and we celebrate that today? What a wonderful thing. Do you know Him as well? The chances are if you are uh, long-term reformed, you pray to the Father and you say in Jesus' name, but perhaps rarely address the Holy Spirit in your prayers. I don't know if that's you, certainly me a lot of the time. Rarely relating to the Spirit as a person. And it's true, the Spirit operates more so in the background. The Spirit, uh, as one Christian artist says, gives props to Christ, doesn't want to take the spotlight. But He is still God and He is still a person of the Trinity. He's not just a force if you're tempted to think of Him only in that way. He is equally relatable and personable. And so what is this fellowship of the Spirit that we can enjoy. Well, in one sense, it is the way that He helps us relate to the Father and the Son. You know, the Spirit, as we've said, helps you hear the Father and talk to the Father and connect with the Father both ways. And the Spirit helps us to remember what the Son has taught and to share what the Son has taught and to teach what the Son has taught. But on top of that, the Spirit is the very life of the Father and of the Son living in us. I want to say life force, but He's more than a force. The Spirit is the life that resurrects you, the life that sustains you, the life that that grows you and transforms you and sanctifies you. The Spirit is the life that bears fruit in you. The fruit of the Spirit. And the Spirit is the life that empowers you and gets you moving in a spiritual way to serve the the, the gifts of the Spirit. And the Spirit is your personal counsellor. He knows all your struggles and weaknesses and groans. There's probably two types of people sitting here today, those who have had experience with a counsellor and those who have not. But if you have, 
or if you've ever wondered about it. You know that they're other human beings and they're helpful. But this is God as our personal counsellor. And in pain and in struggles, in our weakness, in our groans, he helps us. He, he offers the remedy, which no counsellor on their own can do, but the remedy is Christ and his word, the gospel, redemption. But he also takes your prayers to the Father directly and he monitors you constantly because he's inside of you. Monitors your emotions and your thoughts and how you're going. It is a great comfort. And so the Spirit lives in the Father and the Spirit lives in the Son and the Spirit lives in you simultaneously. This relationship we have, it is not long distance. It is as intimate as it can possibly get, far more than with any other human being. And the communication that we have with God, it is not delayed, it is instant messaging. Before we even know we have something to say, the Spirit has said it. God is in you, in each of you, if you believe. And not just in you individually. This is the part where I'd say, but wait, there's more. It's not just in you individually or independently or separately. He's in each of you together, communally, somehow. The Spirit's fellowship is quite literal. It it unites us to the Father and Son, but also to each other. Paul calls him the bond of peace. He is the deep functional unity that makes us one body. So do you know the Spirit? Do you pray to the Spirit? Do you ask Him? Holy Spirit, strengthen those bonds. Produce more fruit in me. Refine the gifts in me. Teach, teach me that scripture. Help me pray. Do you seek his prompting and his prodding in your life? Spirit, I'm open. Or do you largely ignore what he's doing? And do you thank him for the life, his life, God's life that flows through you and grows you and sustains you and preserves you until the end? God is not just for our heads, is he? He's not just for the textbooks and the catechism classes. God is for our hearts, for intimacy and fellowship, for company on the journey of life. Uh, Picture that just briefly with me, if you will. You're, You're on the road. It's a literal road. You're walking the journey, the path of life. But you're not on it alone, are you? There are three persons who are with you. Each of them helping you and encouraging you in a different way, guiding and chatting and carrying and and resting and, and helping you persevere. They surround you. And yet they are one being, one consciousness, one eternal sovereign God. And they invite you into that, that very being. And if you're not sure whether you believe in this mysterious, incomprehensible, three-in-one God, I just want to encourage you to keep wrestling with your belief. 
I'd be happy to chat with you if anyone who wants to do that after the, this service. I'll be here for a little bit. But don't forget, he's not just a God to believe in, in your heads. He is a God to know and to trust. That's what faith is. Not just belief. Also trust. A God to have a relationship with. His Father, Son and Holy Spirit. He's our dad. He's our saviour and our friend. And he's our counsellor. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray to you right now because you relate to us. You know us and you want us to know you. You talk to us and you want us to talk to you. Lord, we confess that sometimes what we read and what we pray becomes a bit dry. It becomes just a head exercise or just a religious activity. And we want to ask that you would help us to talk to you because of the relationship you've given us through Christ. To chat to you as a dad, as a friend, as a counsellor. We thank you that we can, Lord. We pray that you would show us your love as our Father. You would show us your redemption, Jesus, and working that into our broken, hurting, sinful lives. And that you will show us your counsel. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would guide us. Show us the Father, show us the Son. Show us each other. And grow our faith. Grow our trust. Grow our love for you. In Jesus' name, amen.